Welcome to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity, with your host, Dr. Veerdra Jackson. On our program, we explore the flip side of every story. And when you open yourself up to both sides, you'll realize that there are life lessons, powerful tools, and so much more. Now, here is Dr. Veerdra Jackson. Hello and welcome to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. I am Dr. Veerdra Jackson, the CEO and creative behind Living Strong Consulting. And uh, we have had this conversation planned for months. And I'm so excited because when you get to work with people that you genuinely respect, care about, and literally have a like-minded approach with, and you get to then share everything that we've been processing together around the globe, you can't help but be excited. So we are going to have a leadership conversation um, with two women who have absolutely, for me, exemplified the ability to integrate intentionality, um, the ability to listen, and the willingness to be vulnerable as leaders in a journey. So I know, let me introduce them to you. So our first guest is Chris Slick. She has her license in social work since 2000 with her degrees in social work and Spanish. Chris oversees the Lebanon Early Head Start home-based program and the Head Start Family Services staff. This role provides Chris with an extensive knowledge base in child development, working with families from a strength-based perspective and supporting Spanish-speaking families. Chris is fortunate to have the opportunity to collaborate with Christina Demetrio in this work as colleagues with similar growth-minded visions make it they actually make the integration of trauma-informed approaches into a work environment that becomes easier to process learn and grow through christina demetria was born and raised in Lancaster, Pennsylvania and graduated from Millersville University in 2006 with, with her bachelor's degree in social work and then with master's degree in social work in 2010. She began her career in medical social work um, before joining the Lancaster Lebanon IU 13 team in 2015. Christina is the Early Head Start Director for Lancaster County, overseeing two early childhood programs as well as the ELECT program. Christina enjoys the ability to collaborate with community partners and agencies to promote early childhood education, as well as provide support to children and families. So these two, I, a little more than four years ago, was given the opportunity to coach them and their teams in a process of integrating trauma-informed approaches. And I asked them to come on and talk about, as leaders, what that experience was like. So welcome to the show, Chris and Christina. 
Oh, thank you for having us. Yes, we're thrilled. We're <laughs> excited, Virdra. And you, remember, you you asked us. I know. I know. <laughs> you can't get out of it now. And guess, remember, you have to remember for me that I did invite them because I tell you, <laughs> these two love to cut up. But so let, let's start this conversation off with um, something that I know to be true because of the work that I do outside of both of your early Head Start and Head Start programs is that many programs, schools, organizations, especially after everything we have gone through, desire to be identified as trauma-informed organizations. And as a coach, I've gone in and I've, I've found like, ha, ah, so you went to the training, but I can't quite say that what you, the decision you just made as a leader didn't feel trauma informed to me. So I like our conversation to start off with actually unpacking. So what does being trauma informed actually mean to you as a leader? And I'll let either one of you kick it off. Oh, I think she looked at me. <laughs> um, and I think we're probably going to talk about a lot of things, but at, at its core, I do think it's relationship-based. Mm -hmm. And it's creating those connections. And I do want to say not only within our Early Head Start and Head Start programs, but also within our wider organization, we probably have some folks listening um, from the Lancaster Lebanon IU-13. So I, I do want to give credit to the organization because um, from the top down, there is a message of belonging. But I think Christina and I have had the opportunity to partner with you and to, to be a model, to be... Um, I don't want to be forward enough, but um, I think I'm, I'm confident enough at this yeah. point because I've had the privilege of partnering with you and, and my esteemed colleague, Christina, that it's about relationships at its core. Yeah. Christina? I, I very much agree with what Chris said. And, and I think, too, to your point, you can talk about it in circles and for days and you can talk about it well. Um, but until you put that into action, whether it be with each other, whether it be with your families that you're working with, that's when you truly see what that is all about, what trauma informed is all about. When I see the reactions, when I hear the stories from my team and they, they're thinking outside of that initial reaction to understand the why underneath what those families are telling them and, and what they're hearing. And then to be able to, to do that as a parallel process with them, it's, it's in action and it's embedded in our organization as well, which helps a lot. So what I've really heard in, in both of your answers is that through relationship, you actually aren't as leaders. And this is a, literally a conversation I just had yesterday. As leaders, you're not only making that connection intentionally with relationships, but you're not just trying to fix or solve problems. You're intentionally integrating a process or processing with the relationships that you have so that not only are you making stronger connections, but people are making connections mm -hmm. for themselves in their own thought process, their why, mm -hmm. their passion, their reason to be. It all begins to really come to life. So I found 
that oftentimes um, that concept can sometimes be overwhelming for leaders, especially in a season when there is so much coming at us at one time, right? We are all wearing so many hats, but this journey, I know I've watched you literally transform and um, evolve over time. What would you say would, were some key elements that changed in your leadership style to foster that relationship and processing experience that you find to be at the core of this? What shifted in your style? I would say for me, um, consistency and individualizing. And, and not to, initially I was like individualizing. I, I, you know, you have to treat the team equally. You have to, not everybody comes with the same story. Everybody comes with their own unique story. So I'm not individualizing requirements or things that we can't go around. I'm individualizing what's important, the approach, mm -hmm. the conversation, the context. Are we ready to have this or aren't we? What does this look like? And, and really being able to identify with the staff that way has been a real growth process for me under your very astute guidance. <laughs> Absolutely. You guys always give me so much credit, but I work with leaders all the time and you have to be willing to shift outside of your comfort zone of what may have been comfortable at one time in order to recognize that people are different now, especially now like neurologically, biologically, relationally, the, the things we have gone through have changed us. And leadership must be willing to adapt, to understand that um, people are not coming in wanting a cookie cutter response. Mm -hmm. They wanna actually be seen. Chris, what, what's evolved in oh. your leadership style? I think many things have evolved. Um, I think what I wanna say first is, I mean, generally just being open to growing, mm -hmm. that I can't ask someone else to do something that I'm not willing to do. But more specifically with me and it's an ongoing process, the willingness to be vulnerable, the willingness to let to shed some of my armor, mm -hmm. to set a boundary at maybe a different place, to let someone know who I am, that yes, what I do, I'm very passionate about, but it's more how I do it and who I am when I'm doing it. So again, that is relational, but I think just the willingness to grow alongside mm -hmm. and and to be present in the moment. Yeah. There's so many there's so many things. I I think the I mean I know it's a very general statement but just the willingness to grow, to be imperfect, to you know, it, it's a process. Maybe yeah. I didn't hear it the first time, but to learn to listen. <laughs> but you know what? You just picked up on a key word that I've been waiting for us to get to because um, as leaders, being willing to listen and, and be reflective for ourselves is powerful. But, and I love what you just said and willing to be imperfect and 
allow that imperfection, not losing sight of accountability and follow through, but recognizing we are human and therefore providing an environment that allows people to recognize that their humanity has value and place. But that word listen, I think, and anyone who has been in any of my trainings know, I always say people think they're listening, but they actually aren't. They're just waiting for someone to take a breath so that they can make their point. And so we've been on a journey as leaders, um, really unpacking this concept of listening, which I think is foundational in the conversation of belonging, of relationship, of processing, it has to happen mm -hmm. with an element of listening. But so many leaders I hear say, I, I don't have time for that. Let me just, just tell me what the problem is so I can fix it. What do you say about the power of listening as a leader? It, it's critical. It's foundational. Um, and even I was literally just thinking as you were talking, I was not worried about what you were going to ask me. I was just listening to you so that I was in the moment. So then when you would ask me the question, I'd be present and able to answer. Mm -hmm. So it's foundational and it provides safety when someone um, approaches me or I'm in a meeting or whatever the scenario is, I want them to be seen, I want them to be valued, and I want them to be heard. But it takes a lot of practice. And so I think generally I've learned <laughs> to listen, but I know I don't always do it well. But it's foundational. Mm -hmm. It's foundational. And because then we want our staff to listen to families and families to listen to their children. We have to set, if, if it's an expectation, I love that you underscored it takes practice mm -hmm. because, again, people think they are listening, but they're actually not. And beginning to understand how do I practice it so that it becomes an integral part of how I lead so that it becomes modeled for my staff who then serve families. It, it just trickles all the way down. What role has, has listening done in your leadership, Christina? I think if, if the person that is talking to you does not feel seen mm -hmm. and does not feel like they're being heard, that, like Chris said, it is a foundational block. So you're, you're at that point, you might as well wash your hands and be done. Mm -hmm. And, and everybody sees that differently. What is your, what are you actually taking in, but how are you receiving that? What, you know, have you set things aside intentionally? Have you heard something and followed up with that later? Have you taken something um, that they were maybe vulnerable enough to share with you and made sure that you check in and, and let them know they were heard mm -hmm. and that you value what they had to say, you value them as a person mm -hmm. and you wanted to follow up with that. Mm -hmm. I think that is, is really important as well. And the team themselves, they listen to each other and they hear each other and they congratulate and celebrate their wins and they support in different ways of loss or challenge. And that's when, you know, and then when they come full circle and they sit and I see them listening to me, it's not because, you know, not in a, not in a director kind of way. I don't mean mm -hmm. that, but they're 
we're just in tune, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it becomes less of an intentional thing and more of just our culture. Mm -hmm. We shift from transactional experiences mm -hmm. into truly relational experiences. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that takes a process of growth. And oftentimes when I'm working with or talking with leaders, if we want people, we always hear the word empowered. We want people mm -hmm. to be empowered. We want them to take ownership. We want them to move forward in the in an organization. But in order to do that, we have to create space where they intentionally feel like their voice will be heard. So if I say something, it's not dismissed, it's not discounted, or I'm not rushed out because you have another meeting right behind me, but it's actually creating a consistent practice. Absolutely. That allows people to recognize when I enter into Chris's space or Christina's space, they're going to use specific strategies, specific approaches to, to open up the room and allow me to feel seen, which is a growth journey. For sure. What, where do you feel like as individuals, as humans, leaders, human beings, you feel you have grown the most on this journey? Well, you're not going to be surprised about this, um, but I think for me, I have grown the most in the area of the balance of being true to myself mm -hmm. and who I am as a leader mm -hmm. and not putting my worth into what that might look like and how that might be received and and how to balance that i mean when i first started as a leader everybody needed to like me and i had to do everything and and of course you want people to like you but in in sometimes mm -hmm. difficult mm -hmm. conversations have to happen or um and not just with your team with your with your colleagues or with administrators like whatever that looks like um so how to stay true to that and what i have learned is that when they see me and they know who I am at my core, and I am consistent with that, mm -hmm. then what I am, how I am leading mm -hmm. is received that way. And I am, I mean, growth is an understatement, I feel like. I have a journey and I'm still very much on it. Um, but you, you definitely, I mean, I, how many times have we talked about this? A lot. It's okay. It's a lot, but I, <laughs> I, it's a lot, but I really feel like that was an area and the, the balance of being able to have those individualized relationships, mm -hmm. have those intentional conversations, mm -hmm. the leadership, those other kinds of more difficult, maybe conversations come a lot easier. Mm -hmm. When I'm not worried about what are they thinking of me? Are they going to like me? Are they going to talk about me later? <laughs> what does that look mm -hmm. like? It just, it's more natural. It's more authentic. Yeah. When you recognize that your value is not tied to whether or not um, someone agrees right. with your decision as a leader or um it's just so powerful because so many people, so many people, not just leaders, people just in the workforce 
have tied their identity to the work. And when it gets so mixed together, we can lose sight of who we are as an individual, the creativity, the uniqueness, and owning that value aside from the decisions that have to be made, the accountability that has to be followed is a journey, but it, it's not easy. It, it's not, um, but it is one that when you see, and my team will tell you, far from perfect. Like it, it, it is, we are growing, we all are. I, I so many ways, um, but when you can breathe easy, with your team and when you can feel that natural interaction and that conversation and then it, it just it's life-changing it really yeah. is yeah when you get authentic mm -hmm. and grounded mm -hmm. in who you are it gives your team permission to do the same thing mm -hmm. i love it i love it so biggest area you feel you have grown um in this journey <laughs> well, I did. I mean, again, you're going to know what I should say. We'll see if I say it or not. Um, but I did just hear Christina say um, that she's enough. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that's part of our growth journey, that the belief, the confidence to do our work and be willing to grow and change, but we're enough mm -hmm. as a person. Mm -hmm. And so then in our work, that shows up. Um, I think I referenced as far as my main area of growth or is is my vulnerability. Um, and I'm definitely still working on it, but I think the willingness to let someone know who I am, I mean, you know, show them a picture, tell them something I might've done with my significant other. Like it's okay that they know who I am. Like I can show up as a person. I see you, I see you. But, significant other. But I will, transition quickly from that topic, but I will also say something I've grown in is that this isn't um, a haphazard approach. Mm. It's intentional and I'm intentionally looking for systems, for ways that I can make changes that are consistent. So not just show up for people consistently in reflective supervision, which I think is critically important to hold that time sacred, but in addition, what are, what are Christina and I doing? What are we doing as a larger early Head Start, Head Start team? What are we doing as an intermediate unit? So mm -hmm. systematically to hold myself accountable. And I know you would say to me, well, when I first brought out that form, you don't want anything to do with it. But the difference that that form, and I just had an example today that, that I used a tool and I'm like, why don't I do that every time? Right. Creating a process so... Um, what I love about the experience that we have had is that you've done your own individual work, but you've made a very intentional shift to, as you have done the work in and for yourself, you also have built strategies for how does this live in the culture of our team? And how does it live as a practice in my leadership to help my team grow and, and they too be authentic and full and fully present when they are out 
doing the work that they are passionate about. You referenced a term that I, I don't know if you remember, but there was a time when we were talking about reflective supervision and actually unpacking reflective processing connected to that. How has your interpretation of reflective supervision or reflective processing, how has that shifted to support this vulnerability, this ownership, this authenticity, this ability to listen? How is that con- How is that term that I know many people know, but what have you actually begun to dive a little bit deeper in with that process? I mean, first of all, to hold true to it, to just be consistent um, and to name it. Instead of meet with Chris, it's actually called reflective processing. Um, but it is, I think I'm going to use an example because mm-hmm. it, it, it did, it sort of really motivated me for today. You know, the adrenaline's been going, how proud we are of, um, and it's not ourselves, Mm-mm. it's the we yeah. Um, yeah. and how our team has grown. But, and actually it was one of my team members who said, um, why don't you use the emotion wheel? and then used it with a second team member. And the conversation was, I was so proud of both of us Mm -hmm. because we were able to process. So the difference is we weren't, we didn't even talk about families. We didn't talk about requirements. We talked about our individual growth journeys Mm -hmm. and how we're feeling and how um, we know we have a voice, not just me, the the, empl- the staff member. So it's, but you you have to prioritize it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You have to have time. It's interesting because I think about um, <laughs> those who haven't quite had the opportunity to go on this journey yet, and and thinking about. Uh, I don't have time to to talk about an emotion wheel. I need you to <laughs> fix what you didn't do. Fill out the form. Do the do the do the plan. Like, how, what do you say to leaders who are who are at honestly doing the best that they can in a season of survival, short staffed, underfunded, and doing the best that they can. What do you say to them when you're talking about reflective processing and they're in that survival place of fixing? I mean, I think you have to say you have to regulate before you can expect anyone to do meaningful work with each other, with families, with children. Um, and I think you also have to say, help me out, Christina. I, I, what comes to mind for me is that you, you're listening, not for an answer. We're not listening for an answer to maybe fix the problem. I'm listening for what this, that team member needs. You told, you know, we had a conversation of listen for what between the lines, right? Mm -hmm. Read between, listen between the lines. What are you hearing? What are you seeing? What can you tell from your work with them? Because you know them. Listen for what they need, not always for an answer. For somebody in survival mode, I think we can sometimes easily focus on programming and requirements and, and 
what do we need to keep operating? We need our team. Mm-hmm. We need a strong team and a healthy team. And if we don't have that because we don't invest in them, they're not going to turn around and invest in us either. So while that might be a more daunting task, taking that time to really be present with them and listen and learn and invest in them in ways that they're going to show up big. And our teams, I, I just, I, I said to Chris on the way up, I had a conversation the other day with a former um, staff member and to try to describe my team right now and how they have grown. I can't even put it into words. You walk in, you feel different, you feel their interactions, you feel their care mm-hmm. and their passion for one another and for the families that they're serving. And it, it, it's a, it's a contagion. It, it, it oh, is. And it when it's contagious and when it's not negative, mm. it can be, it can have a real positive impact. So yeah. when, when you think about, yeah, you might be running on empty, mm-hmm. you might be running on empty, but on those days when that's happening for me mm-hmm. and a team member pokes their head around the door and goes, are you, you okay? okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not that I expect that of them, but talk about full circle. Right. Right. But you talked about how when you do, when you are establishing a practice of listening, of being present, of um, owning and recognizing your value, giving others permission to recognize theirs, it creates a culture where you're not only consistently seeing your team, they begin to adopt the same practice Mm -hmm. and see you and one another. And so being able and willing to say, are you okay? Mm -hmm. Is not this foreign, strange thing, but it's a part of the culture because what we do is about the people. Mm -hmm. The programming is second, Mm -hmm. is secondary. If the people are well, the programming will happen well. But if leadership, Mm-hmm. Higher than, you know, like from the top down, as Chris mentioned, if that's not there, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're going to be on the struggle bus for a yeah. real long time. Yeah. And our organization is not in a gotcha culture. Right. And I came from that. I knew what that looked like and felt like. Mm-hmm. But for our organization mm-hmm. to allow us to practice this and embody it is huge. Yes. It really, from the top, you know, I, I make mistakes Every day. Yeah. There is no doubt about that. But I want the team member to feel safe coming and saying, mm, look what, what happened. How do we fit? How, how, how do we fix this? Yeah. What can we do with this? And it's not a, mm, let me see how I can write, write that up write or correct up. that mm-hmm. or do. No, it's. Let, you you let's process it. Mm-hmm. You process it. You yep. process not only. Um, the problem, but what was behind it? What did you believe about it? Mm-hmm. What kept getting in your way? Where, where, how did it impact you so that your decision making and your recall of the power that you own can come back to the truth of who you are? Mm-hmm. And Chris, you said, I don't want to move away from the point that as leaders, we have to set the model for regulation, mm-hmm. especially in survival times. What does that mean? Well, 
maybe before I specifically talk about regulation, one of the other things that occurred to me, and I think it's related, is what would I say to other people? And even though I feel like this has been overused, I need to come into work as my best self every day. So in order to do that, I have to take care of myself and I have to do the work. So we're not expecting um, anyone we're surrounded by at work to take care of themselves if we're not. So this isn't just about our work. I mean, I don't know if either of my sons are listening, but you know, I really try hard to take care of them too. But if I'm not well, that won't look good there either. Mm -hmm. um, so regulation is practicing to be regulated. So that might look different for everybody. But so for me, I want to come to work regulated. Okay. So both ways. Right. So if if those are my practices that I do, whether whatever, it's yoga, it's affirmation, I think is a huge one. And that's a huge one that I think has gone both ways in our community of care. Not The amount of affirmation that Christina, I received today to come down here and see you and Keith was huge. Oh, it's not his show, though. It's oh, yours. it's not Keith's show. We heard it might you know, be, but it's not, I, right? Yes. That's the rumor. That's the rumor. <laughs> and, and I don't do yoga. <laughs> I don't. I got kicked out of yoga class one time, but for laughing, but I, I don't have, doubt that. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't get up and run at 4 a.m. either, um, <laughs> but I, it, it goes, it goes both ways and, and it has to be, we want to show up as our best selves. We want to have that self-care, but to be able to, again, it's that relationship building to be able to, to Chris's point, recognize, say, we, notice it yep, we might not else. be ready. Mm -hmm. We not, might not mm -hmm. be ready right now. And Chris gave a great example today. She asked permission for, to, you know, to ask a question. You have to, you have to read mm -hmm. what's happening. Mm -hmm. And and if I'm not in a spot to receive it, I need to be vulnerable enough to say, I, I can't have this conversation right now. Let me go 15 minutes. Let me go take a walk, do my, um, Oh, my, what do you do? My, okay. My, my yoga. <laughs> um, I listen to my music. Don't you I know you listen to music, you breathe it, but it is actually the process of mm -hmm. doing something consistently, not only in urgency, right. not no, only in yeah. the crisis, but it's literally how you show you integrate it daily because your wellness will impact and infiltrate how your team begins to operate mm -hmm. during the day or even how it will infiltrate the culture of your program. But when you recognize that there may be some discomfort or or someone seems off and there's a, an element where you're uncomfortable, you know my my question always is, can I lean in? Mm. So how have We've you... never said no yet. <laughs> I've been waiting. Uh -huh. I've been waiting. I, I think I probably four years in now, I would just say, you just do well, it. I'm going, I'm going to lean, lean in, in anyway, mm -hmm. but, <laughs> but because <laughs> it's a safe place right. now. Right, right. Earlier on, I genuinely asked and waited for the yes, but what has that process, especially as leaders of leaning in instead of, um, leaning back or pulling back or shrinking, how has leaning in actually um, been something that is a consistent staple to your team, your leadership, you? 
So I think for me, um, you, if we're not, if I'm pulling away, mm -hmm. then I'm not ready for that conversation. Mm -hmm. Something's not regulated in myself if I'm pulling away because mm -hmm. I, we always need to be ready to lean in and to listen. We have to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have to be uncomfortable sometimes to mm -hmm. grow and to learn. And we might not do it perfectly, but we're going to lean in and we're going to give it a go. And if, you know, if that is something that we can be consistent with as well, it really does flow then into the team as, and their growth has just been tremendous um, individually and, and together, but we lean into each other. Mm -hmm. And when that, when that circle isn't broken, because everybody is ready to do that, um, it's, it impacts then in turn our families in such a positive way too, because we're going to lean in and listen to them as well. If I'm pulling back, and I notice myself doing it because now that's now that's the odd, right? That's the that's the abnormal. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Whereas before, I'd be like, mm, I, you know, everybody, no thing, lean back, you know. Um, but that's what we're gonna do. If so, I know that now that that's the abnormal. Mm -hmm. If I'm not leaning in, I, I need to check. I need to regulate. But also, what's not sitting well, address it, and then lean in further. And I want to make sure I clarify something. When I have modeled the practice of asking to lean in, it's actually a regulation tool. So it's a strategy for leaders to use. When you see someone is uncomfortable, but you know that processing is necessary for you to actually unpack what the real issue is, not the not the stuff that shows up and rah, 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 but the stuff that's actually <laughs> that under, was good. Yeah, yeah, you, you saw mm -hmm. that. Rah, rah, rah. So the stuff that actually is underneath, right. it sometimes takes people time to get to a place of being fully honest. So I, I want to clarify this for people who who don't fully understand what we're talking about. Physically asking the question or sharing, I'm getting ready to lean in. Are you ready? That actually provides a safety strategy for the person to prepare themselves or recognize they have the power in that moment to say, actually, I'm not. Mm -hmm. And when you have created that practice, it becomes the norm. Yep for people to lean in when they're uncomfortable because they know you've established safety, you're using it intentionally for their growth purpose, not just a shock factor. Right. It's not gonna put them on the spot. Right. Mm -hmm. It's right. gonna in encourage. And to literally use that language yes. so that we're familiar with it and we know what it means. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's another term that you have uh, adopted often that I I feel like many um, leaders could, could learn from. A phrase, yes. Mm -hmm. Claire's kind. Mm -hmm. oh. oh, we know that very well. You know that one very well. Mm -hmm. And we I've, I think I've said it at least four or five times already this week to other people that clear is kind. What, what does clear is kind? What does that mean in your work as leaders um, for accountability? I have learned 
that when I originally, this is another area of growth, because when I would first want to give a response or if I wanted to give an answer and I felt like I wanted to be as flexible as possible and as accommodating as possible or make it work for this person, and I kind of give a wishy-washy or a gray answer, that is not always helpful. Seldom. Clear. Right. (laughs) As I've learned, (laughs) it's not helpful with my husband and it's not helpful with my team. Across the board. Across the board. But I think, so to be able to be clear, set the expectation. We can't expect anybody to show up and meet whether an expectation of any kind, if we haven't been clear, if we can't line it out with how we're whether it be a written direction, whether it be a clear answer, whether that be a difficult, Mm -hmm. clear answer. It might not always be, I think what I originally struggled with and and we walked through this together, it might not always sound as compassionate as I felt like I always needed to be, Mm -hmm. but being clear is in fact kind and compassionate and more helpful than than not. And you can still be authentic Absolutely. and genuine and be clear at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yes. But ambiguity because Mm-mm. you're uncomfortable or dancing around a problem or the elephant in the room actually causes more confusion and lacks the ability to develop consistency and for people to understand. So what is it you want from me? What is it that you um, are expecting? And sometimes when things are too ambiguous, leadership has to pause and actually say, how clear have we been with the vision the expectation, the direction, and the accountability. And the term isn't around making sure, as you shared earlier, making sure that everyone is happy. Mm-hmm. It's about being clear. And through that clarity, it's actually a level of a kindness that even when it's something that people didn't want, mm-hmm. it's clear about what is happening as opposed mm-hmm. to it being ambiguous. Because if I leave it ambiguous, then that's on me. That's on That's on me. That's a whole word right there. Mm-hmm. That's a whole word right there. Because as leaders, we have to be able to own yep. where wasn't I clear? And mm-hmm. now I can't reprimand. I can't write up. I can't get frustrated or angry because I actually was never clear on this point. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, I cannot believe we we only have about 12 minutes left. Oh. And I still have several questions. So so this all of this has actually gotten us to a place of creating a system around equitable trauma-informed approaches in a, a work environment that is impacting the lives of families, communities, and children. So what have been some key elements to building a system to the work that you are doing as teams? That could go in so many ways. I know, but I told you we only have 12 minutes. Oh, but (laughs) I heard the word equitable. And so even though that's 
possibly a whole nother conversation. I feel like that's something else that has been foundational in this process as we work together. We've behaved pretty well. She might ask us back. Yeah, I'm, I'm just I, saying. You're doing good. good. Look but, at us. but this is, I would have, several years ago, I would have been uncomfortable mm -hmm. to say anything like this, but I know what our children and families look like. And I've learned that we need to, at the very least, acknowledge difference, accept, and seek out staff members that look like our families. Yes. So I think part of being a leader is keeping our families in mind at all times. Because ultimately, I mean, yes, this is who I wanna be as a person, but I'm also doing a job and I wanna do it well. And I want every child and family to be welcomed and feel like they belong. So I'm not even even sure what your question was, but I, <laughs> but did I you like that answer? I did. I oh, did. that's excellent. Because, <laughs> because in, um, because you picked up on, on a word that we consistently integrate with this, this process, and that's creating an equitable trauma-informed approach to the work that we're doing. And um, we have, uh, I know that Chayla Bruno is listening and the work that, um, we've been able to present on around being culturally humble. Mm -hmm. And what I feel like I'm hearing you say is recognizing, yes, we have a program and not or, mm -hmm. and we can make sure that we are conscious of representation, intentional um, communication of belonging, because equity has a feeling, it's not just a strategy. Exactly, and we can polish our own lens so we can understand um, what my experience is so that I can have the awareness to know that it is very different than your experience, than her experience, and that's okay, but I need to have an awareness because where I'm coming from is very likely not where someone else might be coming from. And so I can't make assumptions. And so I have to listen. Exactly. To actually understand a different perspective and create room for that. Oh, so you brought me back to the answer to your question. I, I remembered it. See? So, right. So we, we throw around, listen. But one of the ways that we've done is devise a system to hold us accountable to listen. So I don't know how, how detailed you want me to be. We probably only have like eight minutes. But we literally listen. Then we affirm. Then we teach. Then we explore the late framework because we hold ourselves accountable. Yeah. And because listening for affirmation is so much more powerful than listening to respond. Yes. And I mean, yeah. And, yeah. The, and then maybe we get to teaching and exploring, but we have, so we've embedded that into our systems um, with our home visitors and their families. And we're getting ready for this. We're working to consistently embed that in our work yes. so that we know that we're being consistent with the people that we support. And so you're referencing Lakeside Global Institute's um, late framework from uh, Diane Wagenhaus, who actually is my mentor. She was, I want to say, probably the second or third guest at the launch of the show two and a half years ago. Um, foundation, foundational person in my journey, my life, my work. And so so 
we actually have operationalized the concept or the framework of late. And as Chris said, it is listen, affirm, teach, and then explore. It's a framework. It's not a script. So it it becomes a practice of I'm always going to listen first, not to quickly move to a strategy to teach on, but I'm listening first so that I am listening for what you believe, what you're understanding about it. And I'm also listening to be able to remind you of the value that you bring and the power that you have through affirmation. Mm-hmm. And then we get to teach. And there, because there is content knowledge that we're able to share, but then ultimately we want to explore what did you hear? What didn't you, what stuck with you? Why, what was important for you out of this? Mm-hmm. And the whole process starts over again. But what I've loved is how as leaders, you have taken the Lakeside Global Institute late framework and embedded it into the planning process of home visitors. You're developing it as a practice of how you um, connected to reflective processing and reflective supervision, looking for opportunities for it to live as a system within how you're showing up in equitable trauma-informed approaches. Anything you wanted to add, Christina? I just think, you know, we have the home visitors who actually are able to use that framework specifically, but but across the team. So the different roles that there are, the specialists that we have and the family service workers that we're fortunate to work with also might not be able to implement in the same way because of the structure of the program, but, but we know it and we learn it, we use it as as a team. Um, so just want to make, you know, highlight that it, it goes beyond filling out that form filling out a form. Yeah. And we can, I really feel like sometimes I think the impression is if we don't have a form filled out or if we don't have the data here and this, we haven't done the work where if, if you come back and that, that form is maybe empty, you've probably done some of the hardest work because you were just listening and being present and trying to help, not save, not rescue, <laughs> but safe, trying rescue. to be present with them. And so, you know, it's it's been a, a whole team investment for sure. But it, so this part of the conversation, as we talk about team, as we talk about really integrating it across in order for um, it to become a practice of, of people feeling seen, um, creating a framework to remain consistent in a practice. Chris, you open by acknowledging as an organization, you have made a commitment to belonging as a culture. How would you say you have been able to be intentional with this concept that sometimes people can feel is so big? How have you been intentional in integrating this concept into the growth process of your work, of your team, of yourselves? In our in our teams or in the organization? Your team. How, how we create belonging. Um, it's a way of being. Mm. It's 
it's not so much what we're doing, it's who we are and how how we are present, but it is intentional and it's consistent. You said all the key words, um, but it's, it's looking someone in the face. It's noticing things. It's calling them by name. It's caring about the person and it's doing it to everyone that you come across. It's making the time. It's, um, valuing my relationship with the two of you. I mean, it you have to be fortified yourself and I have to feel like I belong. Oh, I think it's helpful anyway. Like mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. like I belong. So then I am helping to create uh, that sense. I mean, we just had a new member join us this fall and I'm fairly certain <laughs> that he would be able to talk about how different this environment is from other environments he's experienced. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a culture, mm-hmm. but it took a lot of practice. It takes connection before content. Yes. It creates, you have to be safe first. So you have to take the time to get to know people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the, the best examples and one of the best um, compliments you can get is one of my staff shared it at the staff meeting yesterday um, that the family said to her, you guys really like each other. When I see you all together, you enjoy each other. You like it. They feel like they belong more in our group environments because we, mm-hmm. you know, we're in tune with each other and then they feel in tune with us. Like it, it makes that belonging go a step further. Wow. So we have two minutes left. So one minute each, what is bringing you joy right now? Wow. I mean, I felt joy all day because I am so proud and passionate to do this work, to do it with the two of you, to do it with absolutely the people that I support and who I who are my colleagues. Um, but most of all, it really is about the families mm-hmm. and the children. Um, that brings me joy. But it also brings me joy that I have grown in my personal life. And that this is not just about my work. I'm a I'm a better person because I've grown as a leader at work. So that brings me joy. My team brings me joy. I couldn't even put it into words yesterday. I couldn't do it again today. They truly do. And the work that we've been able to do and the way that we we've grown together and alongside each other. And I but I have to tell you the first thought that popped into my head when you said what brings me joy is my niece because she's my favorite little little girl in this world. Um yes. but yeah, yeah, and it it just the team. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they've got us. They, yeah. They've got the, the programs going in the direction and, and growing and doing big things with families. And yeah. it gets me up in the morning. Yeah. Oh, not to lift weights, but. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. So I have to say thank you to both of you for um, first saying yes to coming on to talk about the flip side conversation um, and to the pressure of the work that I often have to do to get to work with people like the two of you and the teams that you represent brings me joy. It is not um, always the experience I get to have, but you bring me joy because we can't waste time doing things Things that are disconnected, dismissive, Mm -hmm. and ineffective. And you've made a commitment to doing the hard work, to being brave. 
And it brings me a smile every Monday when I am riding on my way to Lancaster, Lebanon. So I want to say thank you to everyone who logged in. Please make sure that you share this conversation. And we will be doing this again with another guest next week. Same time, same place, right here on the flip side. Thank you for tuning in to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. Please join your host, Dr. Veerdra Jackson, for another edition of our show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.